Well, great to see you. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis 29. We're continuing, of course, our study of the life of Jacob. Jacob has left home. He's gone to Haran. It's a 500-mile trip or longer from where he has been living with his folks. And he's now going to see his uncle Laban. That's his mother's brother. Uh, and what his plan is to go up there and find someone to marry. Maybe marry one of his daughters. He's on the run, but God is with him. If you remember last time, we saw that God confirmed his promise to him. His promise, his protection, his power. In fact, God went back and gave him the, the covenant, going all the way back, what he promised to Abraham, what he promised to Isaac. He now promised the same thing to Jacob. But this evening, as we talked about it earlier, we're going to see a twist to the story, and that is this. Jacob the deceiver gets deceived. The one who tricked others is tricked, and we see the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. That's what it says. Jacob, who had deceived others, deceived his father, stolen the blessing, he's going to be deceived. And this evening, what I like to call the deceitful wedding, and we'll see how that fits together. If you've read this, and you've you know maybe read it two or three times uh, in your life, maybe read it again tonight, you thought, well, wait a minute, how? how uh, I mean, he knows what Leah looks like, and he knows what Rachel looks like, and I mean, how does he have a wedding, and... How, how does he get this woman? He doesn't know it's the right one until the next morning. How does all this work? I don't, I don't know. Well, we'll see. We'll see as we go through it. There's a lot there, and we'll see how this fits together. Let's begin with a prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for your love to us. Uh, thank you for uh, your blessing and grace to us in Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, the opportunity we get to study. And... Uh, we get to see truths from your word. Lord, as we look at the life of people like Jacob and Esau and Rachel and Leah and Laban and all of these different things, especially these next 20 years of their lives, we'll see how these things fit together. Lord, thank you that these are not just stories, but they're truth. They're true things that happened, and yet we can learn from them. We know that the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our instructions so that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. So, Lord, just teach us tonight things that we can apply right now in our lives. We know that the goal of the Word of God, the goal of the study of the Word of God is application so that we can be changed and become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Teach us now, Lord. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was about 11, uh, my twin sister and I went to spend a few weeks with my uncle in the country. His name was Shelton Bond, but we called him Uncle Shed. And I love my Uncle Shed, and uh, he is great. I grew up in Meridian, Mississippi, and when you think of Mississippi, you probably think country. Uh, but it was a city of about 40,000, so I'd never lived on a farm. I'd never lived out in the country. My Uncle Shed had he had goats and cows and pigs and corn and potatoes and peanuts and everything. And it was really kind of a special time for me. And I watched him, and he talked about growing things. He said, you know, you put this down in the ground, and this is what comes up. And he said, whatever you put in the ground, if you put in corn, you, get, you put peanuts in, that's what's going to come back. And in fact, he said, you know, you can put a little bit in, and a lot more comes out. And we found, I, I realized that summer, the truth of, of, of the principle of sowing and reaping. Whatever you put in, you get out. And you always sow, you always reap what you sow, and you always reap more than you sow. That's the plan. Well, this evening, we see that biblical principle of sowing and reaping. The old saying that says, what goes around comes around. Well, the Bible is, whatever you, whatever you sow, that shall you also reap. Jacob is a man who had deceived his father, and he's going to be deceived. Derek Kidner, who wrote a commentary on the book of Genesis, said this. He said, Jacob meets his match, one who deceives even better than he does. S. Lewis Johnson, I used to teach at Dallas Seminary right before I went there, he said this. He said, the deceivers to be taught a lesson in the results of deceiving. It's really true. Think about Jacob. He, he has deceived Esau, he has dece and, and, and now Laban is going to deceive, deceive Jacob. Let me tell you, before it's over in these 20 years, there's going to be so much deceiving going on back and forth. 
you know, we, we look at this and we say, wow, God came to Jacob and said, you're going to get the same promise I gave to Abraham and to Isaac. It's going right on down. We would think that Jacob would go, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. But Jacob hadn't changed a bit. Jacob's still a deceiver. It's going to be when he comes back after 20 years and wrestles with God, and we'll talk more about that when we get to those chapters, that that's when he changes. And God changes his name from Jacob uh, to Israel. And that's the big change in his life, and we'll see that coming. Well, let me, let me remind you where we are. Jacob had deceived his dad and his brother to get the blessing. He stole the blessing. The blessing was supposed to be his. God had said before the kids were ever born that Jacob was supposed to get the blessing over Esau. But his father, uh, Isaac, was going against God and was planning to bless the other brother, Esau. And then they tricked each other, and everybody got tricked. And by the time it was all over, everything turned out exactly the way God wanted it to turn out. But everybody had done wrong. And it was just a mess. And so we saw that Esau, who was really mad about his brother tricking him again, decided that as soon as his father died, he would kill his brother. And his mom, uh, Jacob's mother, Rebecca, said, I can't leave him here because if he stays here, his brother's going to kill him. I love him, so I'm going to send him away. And so she said, I don't want him to marry any of these women around here. I want him to go back to my family and find a wife there. And so that was the plan. And so he took off to make a 500-mile trip, which would take a lot of time, maybe as long as four to five to six to seven months just to get there and to come back. And his mom told him, he says, what I want you to do, she said, son, I want you to go there, stay there for a few days, and then come back. The idea was that she, he would go there, find him a wife, and then come back. She did not know he'd be there for 20 years. She did not know she would never see him again. So it's a real sad thing. She sends Jacob to Haran, which is... In the northern part, it's, it's modern-day Iraq. It's where it is. Uh, in fact, most all of this part, the, the whole idea of the old uh, Assyrian, Babylonian uh, empires, uh, the Medo-Persian empire, all that, that ends up being Iran and Iraq. Modern-day Iran and Iraq. Jacob, I mean, Abraham lived in the Ur of the Chaldees. The Chaldees is where the Tigris-Euphrates River comes down together. That's in Iraq. I mean, you realize that all of this has happened in that part of the world. So Jacob's on the way back to modern-day Iraq to find him a wife from his mother's family, his mother's brother. Now, on the way back, last week we saw that he stopped, decided to sleep. As he was sleeping, he had this dream that, that there was a stairway to heaven. It was like a big slide, a big slanted thing. And he saw these angels going up and down on this big slide. And he looked, and at the top was God. And God told him that he would bless him and take care of him. And when he woke up from the dream, he said, you know, God's really right here. And so he named the place Bethel, which means house of God. And he made a deal with God. He said, God, if you'll, uh, if you'll take care of me, I'll give you a tenth of all I got. You know, that's his plan. That's Jacob. Jacob is a deceiver. Jacob is a tricker. Jacob, Jacob is always making a deal. And so Jacob makes a deal with God. If you'll take care of me, God, I'll give you a tenth of everything that I have. It's as if God looked at him and said, I don't really need what you got, but you know, I'm going to take care of you anyway. Well, the next three chapters, chapter 29, 30, and 31, is the 20-year stay that Jacob stays in Haran in that part of the world. Let me break the passage down for you, at least what we're going to see tonight. We're going to see the meeting at the well. Jacob meets Rachel and Laban. That's the first 12 verses. Then we see that Jacob serves for Rachel. He works seven years. Can you imagine working seven years to get married? Seven years. He says, you work for her for seven years, and you can marry after the seven years. Uh, he says it was like a few days because he loved her so much. And then the deception at the wedding. This is the... the uh, you know, I, I, if you read... What people write about this from the Bible, they say that uh, Laban was the meanest deceiver of all. 
Because what's the worst way you could ever deceive a guy is is promise him to marry this daughter that he loved. He's worked seven years, and when it's all over, he's got the wrong one. I mean, how much worse could... I mean, that he's saying, that's not fair. It's not right. I worked hard, and I wanted this woman, and I waited for her, and you promised her, and, and then I, I wake up, and it's not the right one. Well, and then he says, okay, work seven more years for her. We'll see. Well, let's begin. Let's see the meeting at the well. Look at 20, chapter 29, verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey, and he came to the land of the sons of the east. They're going that direction. They're going to Haran. They're leaving what we'd say is modern-day Israel, going up and across the Tigris-Euphrates River and going into the part of the world which, called, which we call Iran and Iraq. Now, he had just left the house of God, Bethel, and he's living there. Now, I want you to see something. You can't tell in English, because my Bible says this. Then Jacob went on his journey... Does anybody else's Bible read differently than that? This is 29 verse 1. Anybody read differently? You know what it literally says? Let me show you this. Go to the next slide. It literally says in Hebrew, he lifted up his feet. There's a spring in his steps. That's what it's really saying. He's leaving and going, you know, I'm pretty happy now. Things are going good. I mean, I've just had God give me this promise. I made this deal with God. I'm on the way. I'm going to find me a wife. My brother's not going to kill me. Things are working out pretty good. That's what the deceiver thinks. Well, we're going to see what happens. It says he went on his journey, had a spring in his step, and he came to the land of the sons of the east. And so here he is, he's on his way, God has appeared to him, he's given him everything, looks like everything's going to be okay. And he says he looked and he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep were lying there beside it. For from that well they watered the flocks. Now the stone on the mouth of the well was large. Now when, what the best we can tell is this well that's got a big stone over the top of it. Somebody owns this land, somebody owns this well. best we can tell is whoever is the main one here, he decides when people get to water their sheep. And the best that we can tell is they had to wait every day till all the flocks came at one time and then apparently the owner of the well or something would, un, would roll back the stone, they could water their sheep and they could leave. This is best we can tell what's going on. Now, for some, you say, that, that doesn't make sense. Why couldn't a guy just come up there, roll it off, get his sheep, water them, then go back and do something else? Well, here's what we see. He gets there and he sees this well and there are three flocks of sheep lying there beside it. You know what they're waiting for? To get the water. They're waiting for somebody to decide it's okay to move the stone away and that you can water your sheep. He comes up and sees that. Now, the stone of the well was a large. It was a large stone. He said, it's kind of a big. So at a certain time, somebody's going to come open that. And then they explain. When all the flocks were gathered there, they would then roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place on the mouth of the well. So the, the tradition, the plan was everybody had to wait till everybody got there before you could water the sheep. Uh, that doesn't sound very good. And you know, but for some of those... Shepherd guys, what big deal? Just come up there and just kind of, just kind of rest most of the day while everybody's getting there. That's what we're thinking. So watch. Verse four. Jacob said to them, he saw some of these shepherd guys out there. He said, "Hey, my brothers, where are you from?" And they said, "We're from Haran." Now, Haran is the hometown of Rebecca's family. That's where they're from. And, and Laban, her brother, lives in Haran. So naturally, what does he say? He said to him, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? Now, Nahor was the father of Laban. And they said, yeah, we know him. We know who he is. So what a, what a chance. He comes up to a well and he said, where are you guys from? It just so happens these guys at this well happen to be from Haran. 
Well, there's no just so happens. You know that. Everything is working according to God's perfect plan. So he goes up and he says, where are you guys from? And they say, we're from Haran. And he said, oh, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, oh, yeah, we know him. And then he said to them in verse 6, because everything is, you know, you might say, well, this is great. I just found some people who know these relatives of his. And so he says this. He said to them, is it well with him? Basically, how are things going with him? And they said, it's well. And by the way, here is Rachel, his daughter, coming with the sheep. It just so happens that when he gets to the well and he asks these guys where they're from and they happen to say Haran, which is exactly the place he's looking for, and he says, do you know the guy named Laban? And they go, yeah, we know Laban. Is he well? Yeah, he's doing great. In fact, here comes his daughter now. What did he go up there to do? Find a what? Find a wife from who? From Laban's what? Family. I mean, who would be probably a good wife from Laban's family? One of his daughters, right? You know, so... You know, he might be saying, this thing is uh, is working out pretty good. You know, he doesn't have any idea what's going on, but he's thinking, man, th- this is pretty neat. Here comes one of the daughters now. In fact, verse 6 again says, it's well with him. And they said, he said, is it well? Yes, it's well. And here is Rachel, his daughter, coming with the sheep. And then, now notice, the, here's the hard part. And by the way, we see the providence of God. And I wanted to put this up here. The providence and sovereignty of God. God is at work in all the events of our lives. Do you remember way back when Abraham sent his his servant to go find a bride for Isaac and he went up in this part of the world, went right to the same place and that servant got there and said, Oh Lord, if, 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 you, if you're going to show me blessing uh, when, when, uh, when they come out to water the sheep, whatever girl comes out, if I say to them, water, I mean, water my camels, if she says, I'll water your camel, uh, here, take some water and I'll water your camels, if it all works out, he said, it'll be the right. it came out, it happened perfectly just like God planned. Just like he said. And so we see the providence of God all the way through. And here we see the same thing. That he shows up and says, where are you from, Haran? And here comes Rachel. Here comes one of the daughters right there. There is no such thing as fate or chance, and we have to rest in the sovereignty of God and the province of God. Uh, I, I read this. Somebody told me this. It says, remind the story of a cowboy who applied on his, applied went to his health insurance. He said, uh, and he was applying for his health insurance, and they said, have you had any accidents? He said, no, no, I haven't had any accidents. But he wrote down that he was bitten by a rattlesnake, and a horse kicked him in the ribs. And the agent said, well, weren't those accidents? He said, no, they did it on purpose. <laughs> Well, there aren't any accidents with God, are there? There really aren't. Everything works according to his counsel. Notice what happens. And this is a little bit hard, even in the Hebrew, to follow this. It says, he said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered. Water the sheep and go pasture them. We can't tell exactly who's speaking, but it seems to be that, that Jacob says, wait a minute. It's, it's a high part of the day. Why don't you roll the thing away? It, when he says it's not time for the sheep to be ga- the sheep to be gathered, he's talking about being taken back home. They ought to be they ought to be watered right here and then taken away. He's basically saying, why don't you guys water these sheep? Why are you all waiting for something else? Because he doesn't know what's going on. And they said to him in verse eight, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered and they roll the stone from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. They basically said we got a rule. Our rule is we can't water till everybody shows up. Jacob's thinking, that's a stupid rule. Why would you do that? Why, if you came up here and you had your sheep and somebody else is not even here yet, you wanted to water your sheep, why don't you roll the thing back, water your sheep, roll it back, and if you want to leave, leave. 
And so, you know, Jacob, what kind of personality does he have? He's that kind of guy who says, wait a minute, this, uh, this, this doesn't even make sense to me. While he was speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, but she was a shepherdess. Now, we don't know a whole lot about her at this time. We don't even know how old she is. She appears to be fairly young, I think. Uh, when I say young, she could be as young as 14 or 15. She could be as old as 16 or 17 or 18. Uh, she's young. Uh, oftentimes the daughters did this, especially if they didn't have a number of sons. Uh, the daughters sometimes were shepherdess. Uh, in the Song of Solomon, the wife of Solomon was a shepherdess. She stayed outside most of the time. She comes. Uh, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob went up. Look what he did. Rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then when he saw her, let me ask you something. What do you think he thought when he saw her? Can you picture? Yeah, I think he probably went, that's a spicy meatball right there. You know what I mean? That's, that's <laughs> I mean, he, she was beautiful. We're going to see that the scripture says she was beautiful. Spicy meatball. Anyway, uh, I think she was really beautiful. And when he saw her coming, he went, whoa, this is not a bad deal. Things are working out even better than I thought. And let me tell you what he does. He decides that, listen, she's coming with her sheep. I'm not going to have her wait all this time here to water her sheep and wait for all these other people to come. So what does he do? He goes right over and it says, When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob went and rolled the stone from the mouth of the well. He watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. He went and took care of it. He said, Young, let's get out of the way. I'm rolling this thing away. Here, bring those sheep. And he, he watered them. He took charge. He took charge. In fact, he rolled the stone. This is pretty powerful. Why did you think he did this? I think he wants to stand out. I think he wants her to know. Because he's going to tell her who he is in just a minute. But I think he takes his charge so that she looks at him and goes, this guy's not afraid of anything. Anybody else is just sitting around waiting for somebody to come roll away the thing. And he comes up here and says, well, I'm not going to wait around. You want your sheep watered? I'll water them for you. And he rolls it back and does it. Now, look at the next verse. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. <laughs> Sounds kind of funny. Listen, don't get too excited. That probably wasn't anything but the kind of kiss that you see like that kind of thing. In that part of the world, they kiss on the cheeks. It was more like a, a greeting. But it still was a little unusual in the culture for a stranger to kiss a young girl. So he did something a little bit a little bit different. Now, he's going to tell her why, because he's going to tell her I'm a relative. He said, I'm related to you. I can kiss you. I can do that. And so Jacob kissed Rachel, lifted up his voice and wept. Now, she probably thought, who is this guy? He, he, he rolls away the stone, kisses me, and then starts crying. What is the deal? But he's weeping for joy is really what he's doing. And this is not a romantic type kiss, although it's a little bit unusual. The providence of God, he has found the family. He has found the place he's supposed to go. And not only that, he's found a really pretty girl all at the same time. God was with him just as he promised. 
Now, God controls everything. We know this. We can count on Him. His promises never go wrong. What did God say? If you remember back in chapter in chapter 28, God said, I will be with you. I will do whatever I tell you. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done everything that I have promised. That's verse 15 of chapter 28. God says, I will do what I promise. And one of the great truths of our lives is that God does what He says. He says, I give you eternal life, you shall never perish. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you should never once ever doubt your salvation. Because the promise is, I give you eternal life and you shall never perish. That's His promise. When He says, I'll provide for you, you should never worry about it. When He says, I am your provider, your protector, I'll never leave you, forsake you, what should you fear? All of those promises are true. We should count on them. Just what He says. Also realize there are no small Things in our lives, all events and circumstances shape our lives. Look what he does in verse 12. Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran to tell her father. She realizes that this guy, this guy is, 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 you know, a relative of her father. And that he was, you know, she may have known the story. You know, she may have heard the story years before how that this stranger came from a long way away and told him that God had told him to come get this woman named Rebecca. I mean, and, and Rebecca said, I will go with him. And so Rebecca leaves and goes off to, to live with somebody in a faraway land. She may have known the story of Rebecca. That's her, that's her daddy's sister. He might say, Dad, how many sisters and brothers do we have? I say, well, I've got one sister, her name's Rebecca, but she's a long, long way away. See, somebody came and, and God sent this person and, and she took off and she's lived in this place for, oh, years. She's been gone. And now all of a sudden, Rachel finds out that this, this is one of her relatives. This is one of the children of Rebecca. Wow. It doesn't give us any indication of what she thinks about him. We're going to find out very quickly what he thinks about her. He loves her. He wants to marry her. He wants to be with her for the rest of his life. doesn't tell us anything about what she thinks. I still think that she's fairly young. Okay? Watch what happens. She ran and told her father. Verse 13. So when Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Then he related to Laban all these things. So he goes out. Laban runs out when he finds out. Goes out and finds Jacob. Brings him back to the house. They embrace. And then Jacob tells him everything. He tells him, you know, here's what I've been living in. Here's why I came out here. And here's why I came out here. And I've come out here to find a wife. And I've come out to do all of these things. So he told him of everything. Watch what Laban says in verse 14. Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. He's saying, You're my family. In fact, you're, you're more than just some relative. You're my sister's son. You're related to me. You're my bone and my flesh. And so he stayed with him about a month. Now, how long do you think he's been gone from his family? Let's say the trip took, what, six months? That's, that's fast. So he's probably been gone from home at almost over half a year. Over half a year. Now, some people say that when it says, surely you're in my bone and my flesh, that was a, an old Hebrew way of saying, I'm going to adopt you. We don't have any record of that. That's a tradition. So you may, if you study this sometime, somebody may say to you that, that Laban adopted him. That, I don't, we don't see that. Watch what happens. Verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, by the way, because you're my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, 
what shall your wages be? Now, obviously, for that month that Jacob is there, he's not just, you know, waking up, eating breakfast, and just laying around and saying, what are y'all going to do today? Y'all going out and work the fields? Yeah, I'm just going to kind of wait here and watch a little TV, you know. You don't see that, right? What is he? What do you think he's been doing all day long? He's going out and helping them. He's watering and helping with the sheep and helping with everything that they're doing. He's working for Laban. But look what Laban says. Because you're my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? I mean, should I just, you know, you mean I'm not paying anything. Tell me, what shall your wages be? And he's asking a nice thing. He says, what, do you, what would you like? What do you want me to pay you while you're here? Because you're working hard. Well, look what he says. Gives us a little information. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Now, I want you to know those names. The name Leah means wild cow. And the name Rachel means you are the female sheep. So they were kind of into naming their children after animals, right? Anyway, that's what they called them, the wild cow and the female sheep. Now, look what it says about them. And, and I want you to be real careful because it says, Now, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now, if you read that, what you probably say is this, that Leah wasn't pretty and Rachel was real pretty. That's not exactly right. The word sad eyes or weak eyes literally means delicate. It means soft. It doesn't mean that she wasn't pretty. It just means that, that like Rachel had that, you know, some people they have that sharpness and that they physically they're beautiful and they just stand out and maybe their eyes just shone. And then some people's eyes don't shine. Some people are just more delicate or soft. I think that if you saw Leah, I think if we saw her, because I think everybody looks pretty and I think everybody looks handsome and pretty. That's just me. I, I like the way everybody looks. And so I rarely find anybody that I don't think is pretty or handsome. And I think if we saw Leah come into this room right now, we'd all say, she looks pretty to me. She, look at I think she's real pretty. But there was a contrast because Rachel was seems to be one of those fiery type people. You know what I mean? They, she's beautiful of form and face. So she has a, a figure. She's a beautiful woman physically. And I think he's very attracted to her. I think from the first time he saw her, he probably thought, wow. So he's been living there about a month and working. And the guy says to him, what do you want wages to be? And so uh, the writer, Moses, writes down and says, now, by the way, let me give you some information. He had two daughters, Leah and Rachel. Leah was more delicate but Rachel was beautiful in form and face. I mean, she was just, she was a knockout. She's just gorgeous. Now, the truth is, in real life, we, turn, we tend sometimes to overlook those who are delicate and sweet and gentle. And, and uh, that, that sometimes people do that. And sometimes people are more attracted to the outgoing ones or the ones that are more forceful. But anyway, I bet you if we saw them today, we'd think both of them were very pretty. But just one stood out more than the other. And Jacob, look what it says in verse 18. Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now I want you to notice how he says it. And first of all, if I'd have been there, I'd say, why did you say seven? Good night. Couldn't you say like two years, a year? I mean, what, seven years? My gracious. Well, one of the things we find is some of the cultural aspect. You remember in that day and time, if you wanted to marry somebody's daughter, you had a, di- a dowry. You had, you, had, you had to bring something and you had to say, here's these four pigs and this cattle and this horse and I'm going to give that to you for the right to marry your daughter. And the more you gave, the what? The more the woman was worth. I mean, you know, you've heard the stories of the five camel woman or the two camel woman. That's just the way it was. And so what he's saying is you have to give your money 
And he said, what will your wages be? And he said, well, I'll serve you seven years. That's a long time. What he's saying is, she is so what I want. Uh, a lot of money. Uh, seven years of wages. Think about, I'd get paid for seven years. I'll give you all of that for this woman. That's pretty impressive. Now, I want you to notice carefully what he says. Jacob loved Rachel, verse 18 he says, I will serve your, your, uh, I will serve seven years. Now notice, for your what? Younger daughter Rachel. Do you think there's anything in there that is confusing in any way, shape, or form? No. Younger daughter Rachel. He's got two. Leah and Rachel. Leah the older, Rachel the younger. I will serve for the younger daughter, Rachel. Okay, I got it. We got it. We got it. Looks like a good deal. Laban said, hey, it's better that I give her to you than to give her to some other man. Stay with me. He said, okay, it's a good deal. You work for me for seven years at the end of seven years. Uh, that's a great, that's a great payment. That, that's a real compliment to this woman that you'd do for seven years. Now, uh, you know that Laban says, it is better that I give her to you than to give her to another man. Stay with me. Laban doesn't say exactly what he's going to do there. Laban doesn't say, at the end of seven years, I will give her to you directly. He doesn't say any of that. He just says, well, it's better if I give her to you than some other man. He didn't even say when. He doesn't say, good deal. Wow. So Jacob, watch this. Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to beat him but a few days because of his love for her. Seven years went by really fast because he loved her. Wow. Most time, they, I'm sure they spent time together. He served for her out of love. This is the way we're to serve God. Out of love. This is the way we serve God. You've heard people say, I don't want to do that. Oh, i got to go do that. i got to do that. Listen, to live for Jesus Christ and to serve Him is not a drudgery. It should be out of love. It should be, it's, it's, it should be the, the thing that when we're serving God that we say, it just passes by so fast because I'm getting to do this for the one I love. Think of serving in a church or an organization or being a pastor or friends or all of this. We're serving the living God. We, we should be doing this out of love. You remember, there's some people who serve God out of fear because they're afraid they're going to lose their salvation. We're always supposed to serve God out of love by what He's done for us. And we ought to serve Him that way. He's our Creator and Redeemer, Sustainer, Provider, Protector. How do you serve God? Joy? Love? Ben Jinks, he, in a prayer service, wrote this or spoke this. He said this, Lord, renew our spirits and draw our hearts unto Yourself that our work may be not to us be a burden but a delight and may love sweeten our obedience. When you do stuff for God, do you do it because you have to do it or do you do it because you want to do it? Do you do it because He saved you and He loves you with an everlasting love and that you're responding in love to Him or do you do it because you think you're a Christian and you're supposed to? Jacob served seven years for Rachel and it seemed just like a few days because of his love for her. I pray that our service of Jesus Christ will be such a way that we just, it just goes by so fast because of our love for Him. It seemed like a few days. You know, love is a commitment. It's not feelings. It's a commitment. I've got, I think up there, love is a, is a commitment and not, not feelings. It is a decision. The next slide is a decision to commit to that person for the rest of your life. Let me tell you two things. Number one, if you're single, you realize that when you get ready to get married, uh, the person that you want to marry, you need to say, I'm going to marry this person and be with this person for as long as I live. Make a commitment. That's what our culture does not do. 
Our culture does not make commitments. They say things like, you know, we'll be together as long as it works out. Listen, if you, you need to make a commitment to that person. And for those who are married, the whole idea is there is to show our love based on our commitment and to serve and to love one another for as long as we live. Well, seven years just flew by. Here's the deception. I think it should be coming up here. The deception. What? The deception. Okay. <laughs> Verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife for my time is completed that I may go into her. What do you think that means? I'm ready to get married. I mean, I've waited for her for seven years. She's gorgeous. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. So Laban gathered all the men of the place and made a feast. It's, it's the wedding party. It's a big party. That's what they do. And here's the big custom. So now in the evening he took his daughter, what? Leah. Took his daughter Leah and brought her to him and Jacob went in to her. By the way, let me give you the other information. Laban also gave his maid, Zilpah, to his daughter Leah as a maid. He basically said to Jacob, here's my daughter and here's a maid to go with her. So I'm giving you a two for one. You know, here's one that will just help the family, help you whatever you need. Here's my daughter. Now here's the question. We're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because verse 25 says, so early in the morning, or so in the morning, behold, it was Leah. How, you think, wait a minute, this guy is going to get married to somebody and he doesn't know it's the right woman? I mean, couldn't he tell by looking? Well, what could be, what, what could happen? He took Leah to Jacob. What could happen? Well, first of all, could he have been, could he have been drunk at this thing and not know who he is with? There's a possibility that in the parties in those days, maybe in the wedding party, uh, he didn't even know where he was going or what he was doing. Second, there's the custom possibly that she was covered from head to toe. That they couldn't know who it was. A lot of times, with some of the cultures in that custom, customs in that culture, the woman, even on her wedding day, is completely veiled. And when they went into the tent, there's not electric lights. There's not any of that kind of stuff. You know, he doesn't know who it is. He thinks it's Rachel. I believe I'd have some candles or something, wouldn't y'all? I mean, you know, <laughs> you think, yeah, I think. You think maybe this is somehow. That be not deceived, God is not mock, whatever a man reaps, he also what? That a man sows, he shall also what? Reap? Notice this. Jacob had pretended to be his older brother. Leah pretends to be her younger sister. Wow. Let me ask you a quick question. Oh, yes, go ahead. I don't think Rachel's very... I think she's probably got something wrapped around her mouth and she's probably tied up. Or her father said, you go into that tent and you don't say another word. And she did what her father said. And let me tell you what. What do you think he said to Leah? Do you think Leah... Let, let's say this. Do you think Leah wants to be with him? She may want to be with him, but he, she knows what. He does not what? He does not love her. Do you want to go be married to somebody that doesn't love you, that you know doesn't love you, and, and you know that he thinks you're somebody else? Is this going to be fun for anybody? The only one that looks like they're okay in this thing is Laban. Right? Realize that Laban's actions affected so many people. Look at the first one. Leah. She was given to a man that didn't want her. And she had to live a lie. She had to pretend to be Rachel. Second, what about Rachel? She's not given to the one she wanted. And I imagine she was commanded to be quiet. Jacob worked seven years and got the wrong woman. That's a rip, right? And what about Laban? 
That's his character. He's a deceiver. One man's actions affected so many others. Sin is never in a vacuum. And you may say that I'm going to do something. You say, I, I'm going to do this, but it'll only be between me and God. It'll just be between me. I want you to understand that whatever you do is between you and God and affects you and God, but it's going to also affect others because sin is never in a vacuum. It never is in a vacuum, and it does not stay in a vacuum. We're going to see in the book of Timothy that it says, when we'll get in First Timothy later on, that it says the sins... Of some men are present going before them, and the sins of some others come later. As do the righteous works. Some are easily seen, some are seen later. That's what happens. Wow. Jacob had deceived others, and now it's back on him. Jacob the deceiver had been deceived. Now, here's the principle. Whatever you put in, you get out. You deceive people, what's going to happen to you? You don't get deceived. It's going to come back on you, and you always get more than you put in. You know, sowing and reaping. If it's, if you sow to the flesh, the Bible says, "Be not deceived; God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap." If he sows to the flesh, he sows of the flesh corruption. If he sows of the spirit, he reaps eternal life. The bottom line: if you if you put in good, you're going to get back good. If you put in bad, you're going to get back bad. That's just the way it is, and you always get back more than you put in. You say this is just a little thing; it won't be bad. It comes back bad. It comes back worse than you put in. Be careful. Be careful. Alan Ross, who was one of my one of the Hebrew professors at Dallas when I was there, said over seven years Jacob's love for Rachel had grown, but in one night it would be marred by the substitution of Leah. How do you think Leah feels? Probably in that family, everybody says, "There's Rachel." Hey, hey, Leah. Hey, there's Rachel. And now on Rachel's wedding night, Leah's told, "You're going in there." You're going to marry somebody that doesn't love you or want you and you're tricking them. How do you think Leah felt when Jacob looked at her and went, Wait a minute, you're not Rachel. What are you doing in here? That made her feel great, didn't it? There's nothing good that comes out of any of this deception. Well, it came about in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why have you deceived me? Look what Laban says. He's already thought about the answer. Laban, Laban, you probably said, Laban, what are you going to say when he asks you? Oh, i got a plan. Don't worry. Here's what he says. Oh, by the way, it's not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Why didn't you tell me that on the front end? Why, when I said I want to marry your daughter, Rachel, why didn't you say to me, oh, I'm sorry, it won't work that way because we have to marry the older one first? He didn't say that. He tricked him. He always tricks him. That's what they are. They're tricksters. Look what he says to do, though. Well, complete the week of this one. The week. The marriage week. They got to be together for a whole week. The marriage supper. The whole thing. You know, most wedding festivals lasted a week. There was the original wedding part. Then there was the the husband and wife went off. And for that week, everybody else is having a party while they're having a party. And then at the end of the week, there is a big supper. There's a big party as well. Party before, party during. That's why That's why when Jesus was at the wedding of the kingdom of Galilee, what happened? They ran out of what? Wine. They were drinking so much they ran out of wine. That's why they came to Jesus and said, we got a problem, we ran out of wine. A whole lot of drinking going on. 
Complete the week of this one, and I will give you the other one also for uh, also for the service which you shall serve with me for another seven years. Now, you know, what I say to him almost, wait a minute, wait, I already worked seven years for that one. I didn't work seven years for the first one. You don't want to give me the, but I already worked seven years for this one. And he says, no, I'll give her to you now, but you've got to work seven more years. So what it ends up being that he worked seven years for Leah and seven years for Rachel. And he never even wanted Leah. Two wives and two handmaids. Because notice it says, uh, Laban also gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maid. Verse 28, Jacob did so and completed it her week. And, and he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife. And Laban also gave Bilhah. So he went ahead and did the week. And then he, and he got the other wife. Now, let me ask you something. Is, is it right to have two wives? Uh, he's actually got four women in his life right now, doesn't he? He's got two wives and two of their maids. And before it's all over, he's going to have sexual relation with all four of these women, and they're going to produce children from all four of these women, which will be the twelve tribes of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel comes from these four women. Two sisters and two maids. And we're going to start seeing it pretty quickly. We'll stop tonight, but we're going to see a bunch of it. So look what it goes on to say. Uh, so Jacob went into Rachel also. Now listen to this. And indeed, he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban for another seven years. Do you think it's good to have a relationship with two wives in which one wife is loved more than the other? Do you think in all relationships in which you have two wives that one is going to be loved more than the other? The problem with polygamy, you can't be one flesh with two people. There's always conflicts and troubles, and there's always favoritism. Always. That's what we're going to see. Next time, how God produces the nation of Israel. Let me go quickly through this. We've seen that Jacob gets to Haran, meets Rachel, asks uh, Laban, says, what's your wages? I'll work seven years for Rachel. At the end of the seven years, their deception, he gives him Leah instead, so he works another seven years to get Rachel. He gets Rachel immediately, but he has to work another seven years. So he's going to have to be there at least 14 years before he could leave. Before he could leave. What do you think his mama thinks? She thought it would be a few days. She thought it might be a year, year and a half. And then he'll be back. It's going to be 14 years. She'll never see him again because it's going to be 20 years. There's another six years tacked onto this thing and we'll see it as well. Give me see some applications. First of all, we reap what we sow. That's a principle from God's word. A, what you put in, you get out. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Some people say, I'm going to sow my wild oats and hope for a crop failure. There is never a crop failure. I just want you to understand that. Never. It'll never happen. There's the principle of positive and negative. Whichever you put in, you get out. If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. You sow to the spirit, you reap life. What are you putting in? What are you putting in your life? What are you putting in your mind? What are you putting in? What are you doing? If you live for yourself, there's going you sow iniquity, you're going to reap sorrow. That's what it says. Proverbs, uh, Hosea 8, 7 says, you sow to the wind, you weep the whirlwind. Proverbs 22.8 says, you sow iniquity, you reap sorrow. Whatever you put in, you get out. B, our actions not only affect ourselves, but they affect others as well. You never sin in a vacuum. Laban's deception affected Leah, Rachel, Jacob, and the whole rest of history. Think about that. What we do, there'll be sowing and reaping effects not only us, but others as well. Number two, realize the commitment involved in marriage. Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, committed to her. When we say I do, 
we want to be committed, not based on our feelings, but based on our commitment. The last thing is may we serve God out of love. Just as Jacob served Rachel out of love, and he said it just seemed like a few days, may we serve our great God out of love, not out of our duty, but out of love. And we serve Jesus Christ, and, and, and we live for Him. We do it for the Lord as unto the Lord. We do it because He is the one who has saved us and loves us with an everlasting love. He is our Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, Provider, Protector. He is everything. May we serve God out of love for all that He has done for us. Committing to those that we're married to and understanding the principle of sowing and reaping from God's Word. Let me let me pray and then we'll open up for any questions. I know we went over tonight. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for your Word. Lord, as we think about this, we realize there's a lot of things there. We know that we uh, reap whatever we sow. Whatever we put in, we get out. May Lord, may we reap. Uh, may we sow to the Spirit. May we sow to living righteously and godly. May we put in the good stuff so we get out the good stuff. Lord, we realize that how we live, our actions not only affect ourselves but others as well. So we know that we do not sin in a vacuum. We do not live in a vacuum. May we live for your honor and glory. Lord, thank you for marriage and as we see how Jacob loved Rachel and, and worked seven years for it. it just seemed like a few days may we do the same thing in our marriages that we're committed to the ones that we love and, and that we will love them and, and, and live with them and it just seems like days fly by and the Lord thank you that we get to serve you out of love and may we do that may every one of us in this room realize that, that his commandments are not burdensome as the scripture says that we have the greatest privilege of all to serve the living God may we do that thank you Lord we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, questions, comments? I know we went over. I'm sorry. Yes? Is Bethel in any way related to Bethlehem? No. Uh, Beth- Bethlehem comes from Bayat Lahem. Lahem means bread. Bayat means house. So Bethlehem means the house of bread. Bethel is Bayat, which means house, and Al, which is God. So it's the house of God. They're two different places. Different places. Yeah. But they do sound the same because Bethel and Bethel, Bethlehem, it comes from Bayat, which means house. Yes. Yes. Well, you remember when he, he was, uh, when he 76 when we got there? So I don't know how old he was when all this started. He, well, it's seven years. So he's what? At least seven and, seven and six, 73. He's, he's what? He's in his 80s. Yeah. Pretty spry old guy for 80s, isn't he? Yeah. This young girl, and that's why I was wondering, well, how old was he? Well, we know that one of the things that I studied, that he was 70-something years, about 76 years old when he left. So, good gracious. It just, you know, some of these things we go, wow, they're different than we were. Or different than we are. Okay. Yeah, that may have been. He, he saw pretty well the next day, though, didn't he? Yeah. Okay, what else? Any other questions, comments, anything? Yeah. Well, actually, remember he worked seven years and then got her right then and then had to work another seven years. So he didn't have to wait 14 years. He had to wait seven years for her. I, when I said 14, she was if she was young, she could have been as young as 14. She could have been as old as 20. Uh, but by the, in that culture, by the time you're in your 20s, you, you were usually married. It could have, but that been a, that been a little bit young. Fourteen was about the age that people talked about marrying. I mean, it could have been that our Joseph Mary married the mother of Jesus. Could have been as young as fourteen. Could have been that young. Probably older than that. She seemed to be fairly mature the way she handled the issues that she was faced with. Yeah. <laughs> She's amazing. Okay, anything else?
Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for the privilege of uh, studying your word. Help us to make application. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.